Judgment Day, Volume 2, Prelude to Armageddon, Part 2, Israel Catapulted to Global Superpower as Russia Succumbs to Jewish Domination. Subtitle, A Muslim's Nightmare. Hello, everyone. Welcome to yet another study of End Times Bible Prophecy, based squarely upon the series we have titled The Bible Prophecy Masterclass. In this first episode of Part 2 of a three-part study, we will be reading from the text that is in fact volume number two of that tripart series called Judgment Day, Volume 1, Prelude to Armageddon, Part 2. Israel Catapulted to Global Superpower The question, or questions more or less, that we will be exploring will center around the issue of the future and the fate of the tiny nation of Israel. Why on God's green earth does so small, so seemingly insignificant a piece of real estate figure so prominently in today's news? Why the world's animus toward and its apparent determination to be rid of all things Jew? On October 7th, 20-23, the Arab terrorist group Hamas destroyed a relative peace in that region when it launched an unprovoked attack on a Jewish hospital, murdering somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,200 to 1,400 innocent civilians. Yet the nations at large insist upon pointing fingers of accusation at the Jews for its response to this heinous offensive, aimed at rooting out and holding Hamas accountable. And on and on it goes. The Israel-Hamas conflict, the Russia-Ukraine war, China's threats to Taiwan, North Korea's prevailing threat to South Korea, Iran's threat to Iraq, the Russia, China, Korea, Iran threat to the USA, the Houthi attacks on ships that threaten to upend international shipping and trading, etc., etc. One cannot but wonder, where is this all going? How, where, and when will it end? From the study titled Judgment Day, Volume 1, Prelude to Armageddon, Part 1. We have seen and we have therefore settled the question relating to the future and the fate of the United States of America, per the plans and the will of Almighty God. That somber prospect then, in all of its awe-inspiring dread, begs the question, how will the Jews and the nation of Israel survive in the face of overwhelming, relentless hostility, hell-bent on its obliteration, in the absence of the restraining influence of the only solid, reliable ally it currently has? As we begin this time of study with an acknowledgement and a brief look at a few general thoughts and considerations, join me in a word of prayer that God will add a blessing to this timely dive into His prophetic word. Introduction By His life, by His example, by His word, by His teachings, and by His deeds, Jesus Christ the Nazarene placed a premium upon the Bible's prophetic word, and rightly so, for his manhood memory refreshed and fully apprised of such by his Father. It was he who sent the prophets, bearing messages he set in order when, as Almighty God, he hang out in the heavenlies, by the side of him who was to become his Father in a future then yet to be created. Hmm? Does that freak you out? Any saint or servant professing himself to be a Christian and follower of Christ can ill afford to do less, for that would be to make him and his father 
liars. Thus, we understand then that the study of biblical prophecy is for the Christian, not an option to be handled flippantly or dismissed lightly. The preparation and preparedness with regard to frame of mind, whether one waits and watches expectantly, of many a saint hangs in the balances, subject in part to proper handling and interpretation. His life, habits, or manner of living are governed and shaped to a degree by his level of expectation, which could be considered a factor of his understanding, if he even believes. The Divinely Ordained Soothsayer God's Divine Litmus Test Should ever a prophet presume to speak in my name and the thing of which he speaks does not come to pass, that is the thing which I did not speak, and that is a prophet I did not send. Deuteronomy 18.22 Thus, may we not conclude that the first litmus test of the word of any prophet, far more than its religiosity, is its historicity. That is, anyone claiming to be a prophet, speaking predictively on behalf of God Almighty, will be speaking and delivering a message designed and calculated to have basis in future historical fact. This applies whether or not the messenger and those hearing actually live to see the fulfillment. It must come to pass if the prophet's message is from God. There is no other test. So, how have the prophets done? All of their words have endured well the test of time. We have them on every hand, exactly as the prophets delivered them, up to 2,500 years ago at a time when all that they spoke seemed outlandish at best, downright preposterous at worst. In fact, the Almighty so tied His hands behind His back, as it were, set a standard so tight that there was not the slightest possibility that any of His words would ever find basis in reality, seeing the light of day prior to the year 1900, all things considered. Beginning actually in the book of Genesis with God's promises to Abraham, continuing here in the book of Deuteronomy with the words, I will raise up a prophet. And throughout the Psalms and the prophetic books, it is a matter of historical record, accounted of in the greatest, most accurate of all historical records, that all the messianic prophecies came to pass, exactly as planned and scheduled. Against all odds and the voices of many naysayers, doubters, scoffers, critics and skeptics, all of its purely historical claims have been borne out by the physical science of modern archaeology, or all the work that has been done leaves little room for doubt in the case of those not yet proven, leaving the egg of falsehood and libel on the faces of those who dared vent their disbelief in words of defamation against the God of the prophets and His word the Bible. But the messianic prophecies and the historical statements represent only about two-thirds of the story at best. That in them, the prophecies of messianic and historical significance, God and His Word have fared well so far, is a clinically testable fact. There are other prophetic statements, scientific in nature, requiring and mandating sciences and industries, tied together at the hip, as it were, by and built upon the platform of an intellectual discipline known now as quantum physics, which either had not been conceived or were simply non-quantifiable prior to the year 1900, or thereabouts.
That is, some of the ideology necessary to the ushering in of the realization of these prophecies were known, but not understood, until well after World War II. Given that these scientific predictive elements of the prophets' messages were eschatological in nature, signaling the end of time and the return of Israel's Messiah, just how well in fact do his prophecies fare in light of the modern sciences, remembering that scoffers and skeptics allege that the sciences have disproved the Bible? Was this aspect of his prophetic word ever doable in the first place, or were the prophets simply blowing smoke and hot air? What are these scientific prophecies which transpire before and during the era of the apocalypse? Motive behind the apocalypse. What is this apocalypse? When will it occur? Why? With these questions in mind, we commence this study by observation of the following. My spirit shall not always strive with man. Genesis 6.3 Since the penning of these words by Moses, he lived roughly 1,500 years B.C., the God of the Bible has been on record as having his eye set on a day when the struggle between himself and his wayward creature, man, would have an end. The biblical record signifies strongly, however, that this struggle will end in neither truce nor stalemate, neither will there be any negotiated peaceful resolution or settlements with men who will not bow or submit to his authority and sovereignty. Once the bullets start to fly, there will be perhaps billions who will be saved, but maybe twice as many or more who will be lost. He will take no hostages, sidebar. Within 3.5 years of the parousia, will not be tolerated in the least. All who dare to profess faith in God and His Christ, refusing, if ever they are given the chance, to recant, will pay the ultimate price with their lives. Truth be told, the Jews as a national international entity will for a time be among the persecutors of Christians, Jewish and non-Jew. Psalm 2, 1, 12. Why are the nations of Gentiles tumultuous, restless, and the people murmuring a worthless thing? The kings of the earth position themselves, and the rulers consult together against Yahweh and against his Messiah, Mashiach, Mashiach, anointed. Let us break their restraints, chastisements, so as to minimize and or diminish their influence as we cast away their bindings from us. In retaliation to the aggression of his puny, hopelessly inferior creature, man, he who sits in the heavens will take up defenses set upon foundations of laughter as he assumes a offensive posture awash in derision. Then he will get serious, speaking to them in his wrath causing them to tremble inwardly, being agitated and alarmed, in his burning anger, Hebrew, Sharon. He will break them with a rod of iron. Belligerent man, cantankerous in his bid for freedom, wants his space as well, not only to set himself free from the constraints of the Almighty on the one hand, but he wishes to turn right around on the other hand and set himself up, both on the world stage and in America, in place of God over his fellow man, even if he has to annihilate him to do it. History on every continent is replete with examples of this type of tyranny. 
Witness all the wars of the past, most notably World War I and Hitler's World War II, the righteous and bloody Stalin, Mao, Ceausescu, Milosevic, Amin, Charles Taylor, the Marcoses, and the heinous, atrocious attitudes and ideologies which drove them all. Consider also the nations recently impoverished and devastated by the awesome forces of nature, which while some are ready and eager to embrace foreign aid and dollar bills in one hand, do brandish prohibition signs before the face of God in the other, if that aid happens to come via the hand of Christian endeavor. Equally as bad as an unbelieving world that rejects God are today's American churches, white and black, which while they pretentiously serve Him on the one hand, they do effectively brandish those same prohibition signs of their own in the other, telling God that He is not welcome in their midst. Revelation 3, 14, 22. What is this apocalypse? While the Old Testament prophets like Zechariah and the New Testament writers of the Gospels and of the Epistles give us much in the way of previews, snapshots, glimpses, intriguing pieces of a puzzle, if you please, what else is to constitute or characterize this apocalypse? For starters, the apocalypse might be characterized as a time such that man will not only be given his day in court well in advance of the final judgment, but he will as well be given space and a place on the battlefield, first to darn near obliterate the human race and the planet, venting and working out his frustrations with his neighbor, particularly the Jew then to go toe-to-toe -to -toe in a face-to-face -face repudiation of his Maker. God has set a date in which He will judge the world in righteousness. Paul in Acts 17.31 In so many words, the apocalypse is a detailing of an event that will happen, but it will only do so as part of a predetermined plan set by God Himself. It is not a happening that just happens. Nor will it occur simply because something went wrong unexpectedly in God's otherwise good creation. The apocalypse was the plan from the very beginning, before the creation itself. Since man will not submit willingly to the authority of his Maker, God will give him ample opportunity and space to fight for the prize, title. Our world is being prepared, even as we speak, for just that event. The alien bearing and honoring man's right to reject and disdain his Creator will come, delivering that right on the platter of a silver bullet, as it were, face to face, mono o mono but at a price, and the price will not be cheap, nor will he appear according to the antics and physique of that grotesque creature of Hollywood fame. Webster's New World Pocket Dictionary, 4th edition, defines apocalypse as a time of total devastation as in doomsday. The Greek, however, from which this our English word is derivative, is the term apocalypsis, ap-oke-al-upsis. While it is somewhat akin in meaning to the Greek term epiphania, meaning a manifestation, a shining forth, as in simply making something visible, apocalypse is said to be more comprehensive in scope. In its simplest sense, it means disclosure. In its fuller, broader biblical sense, 
This term apocalypse actually refers to and depicts a progressive and immediate unveiling of things otherwise unknowable and therefore unknown to even the church, except as God chooses to reveal them. It is the word translated revelation in the title of the last book of the Bible which has been aptly titled The Revelation of Jesus. Some have referred to the book as John's Revelation, insofar as it is his revelation and is correctly cited as such in verse 1, given to him by his Father God to be delivered to us, his church by John the Revelator. Hence, the term apocalypse, its usual reference being or pointing to the book of the Revelation, depicts a specific period in time, preceding which life will proceed normally, as usual, before experiencing a decided turn of events, all leading to the worst, all of which, when they start, will occur in what might be termed relatively rapid succession. Herein, and only herein, lies the basis for the Webster definition, given that this period, as set forth in the Apocalypse, the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ, will be characterized by war, unrest, uncertainty, and great devastation, brought on first by man, then by God himself, as well as by intensified hatred for and murder of untold multitudes of Christians, all born during these troublesome, turbulent times. Christians living just prior to the apocalypse will be gone. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 Tasha 8 and by a concerted global final push to exterminate and eradicate the Jews from the face of the earth. Thus it will be a time, effectively, of institutionalized barbarism and of a barbarous brutality reminiscent of Hitler and the Holocaust. Hence, it might be argued that the apocalypse proper, strictly speaking, is the unveiling of the fact of history's destiny, an unavoidable, divinely directed rendezvous with this global, most hellish of blights on the annals of time, orchestrated and instituted by the Almighty Himself, to be culminated and capped by the triumphant appearance of the God-Man, Jesus the Christ from Calvary's cross, A-E-E-E, the Day of the Lord. Hereby, then, we know it to be a system of events occurring just before the parousia, of any substance backed by literature of any substance religious, political, social, etc. Apart from the Bible's account, there is no apocalypse. When will this time be? Is it possible to know? The route or road through the apocalypse is clearly spelled out in His Word, the Holy Scriptures. But how might one know when it is near? Are there actual indicators in modern historical events that correspond to Bible predictions, by which one can know when or approximately when this great event will take place? Does he envision pouncing upon men in fury, like an angry lion, without warning, without fanfare? Can one in any wise be fully apprised? Or has the God of all heaven and earth intentionally left his doomed world in total darkness concerning this momentous event? The answers to these questions and more could be startling. Signs of the Times Introduction Jesus often chided the Pharisees, scribes, and other religious leaders of the day for their obstinacy and stubbornness of heart. They frequently sought of him signs, by which he was to demonstrate and thereby validate his claim to authority. 
You can read the skies and the winds, he scolded, in which case, based upon past experience, you are able to tell whether it will rain or not, and whether it will be hot or cold. But, he continued in righteous indignation, even with your knowledge of the Old Testament scripture, in juxtaposition to this present moment, the implications being greater than evident, you cannot draw the requisite parallels by which you should have been able to ascertain their prophetic fulfillment. They had the scriptures, they had him in their midst, yet they could not make the connection. He was the fulfillment of all they had hoped for. His point being that God at that juncture was not come as the Almighty, but as a man, a humble servant to be despised and rejected. Matthew 16, 1, 4. Luke 12, 54, 55. And so the story goes at this very hour, as with those scribes and Pharisees, and as with the magicians and their Pharaoh standing before Moses, so likewise in these last times God has not only issued plenty in the way of advance warning, He has as well given a plethora of signs, leading biblical indicators, one might call them, by means of which we, potentially the terminal generation, terminology of Hal Lindsay coinage, at this hour may know with certainty the validity of his warnings and the nearness of his coming. Moreover, ultimately the prophecies suggest that the problem facing mankind right now is not so much a matter of man against man, each armed with fantastic new super-killing machines. Rather, the problem facing humanity at this hour, and will until the very last second, is God Almighty and His original pre-creation plan, His exit strategy for humanity, if you please, by means of which He Himself will initiate and set in motion the cogwheels which will usher in the end of life as we have known it. He makes no bones about it. It is He behind all the unrest we see around us today if only in the sense that he permits it, stoking, stroking, channeling it to his advantage, as he prepares to bring life as we know it to a close. Behold, look, observe, be attentive. I will make all things new. What has been and what is will soon pass away. All things will be made new. And yes, in answer to the cry of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes of yesteryear, as well as those of our day, he has given us plenty of way markers, the leading biblical indicators, if you will, all the signs of the times providing only the clearest, most distinctive signals that mankind has now entered an orbit which will indeed prove terminal to all that we know and cherish. While the words of Jesus himself indicate that it is impossible to know or pinpoint the exact time of events of the apocalypse, even he, during his earthly ministry, did not know. Matthew 24:36, Mark 13:32. This we know for sure, based squarely upon what might be deemed the most graphic and most compelling of biblical indicators. It has not happened, nor could it have ever occurred prior to the 20th century. And we know that it will narrowly precede the actual, bodily, physical return of Jesus to the earth. Revelation. 16. We can virtually see the future take shape, vividly colored in living, life-changing detail. No one prior to 1900 could, 
because for the most part nothing ever changed. What was, was for the average person, what had always been. Technology and Modernism Cornerstones to Bible Prophecy Overly simplified though it may be, this perception renders modernism as that intellectual train of thought said to have been given birth at around the beginning of the 20th century. It was an attack upon traditionalism in every genre including religion and common views of God which basically said, down with the old, up with the new. There is nothing entirely wrong with change and new ideas. Things had to change if for no other reason than that the Word of God required it, given a backdrop of 6,000 years of technological lethargy and industrial malfeasance, one might say, that brought humanity nowhere near the realization, or the prophetic realization, God obviously sought to impress upon him, being left to his own devices to figure things out on his own. The problem here, however, is that once his mind was stimulated, he sought to challenge the reality, viability, and the existence of God with its new ideas and new ways of doing things, a rather bizarre thought when the Christian considers that it absolutely cannot but be that it was God, who, with a view to the satisfaction of his own eschatological ends, instigated the concept known as modernism in the first place. How else is one to account for the spiraling achievements of the past 100 years, all of which in one way or the other contribute to a validation of the prophetic word of God, none of which were ever remotely imaginable 100 to 125 years ago for six millennia? Behold, we make all things new might easily have been his motto, as he arrogantly plotted a course through the early 1900s that eventually led to the notion that if there ever was a god, he is not only irrelevant, he is dead by the 1960s. Through reason, intellectual, and technological prowess, he will be discredited. Men of the sciences, the arts, of industry, and of finance reasoned. Is it not the irony of all ironies? that the very course plotted by the modernists to get away from the knowledge and need for God has in the finale led without escape straight into his lap. Flight of the Modernist Oddly enough, it appears the modernist was unwittingly on the right track to making good on his threats. Of the many signs of the times listed and sprinkled throughout the Old and the New Testaments, not one had basis in reality as reality was defined from the year 1900 and backwards. Not even the best educated theologian, regardless of his ability to expound, to reason from the scriptures, could ever have confirmed even one of the Bible's claims, scientific, tough, technological, or many that were archaeological. From our vantage point, utilizing the benefit of hindsight, it is plain to see now that not only had God intentionally left himself wide open, subject, shall we say, to scorn and ridicule at the hands of modernism's enlightened ones, he was effectively sitting on the ground, in the very path the intellectual and informed modernist would ignorantly have to trod, laying his track in dogged determination and pursuit of flight that would take him far from the embrace of an almighty, all-powerful, biblical God. 
Every sign of the times far, you see, required an explanation rooted in modernism's technology, the infrastructure and framework for which had yet to be laid, unfathomable though they were at the time of issuance by the prophets, these were things of which mankind was obviously capable and on the basis of which God should have been glorified. Before any such foundational work could ever begin, his nose had to be rubbed and scrubbed in or against the grindstone of a fundamental biblical reality, one he theretofore had fervently denied. All things visible and tangible, find basis for their being in that which cannot be seen, per the book of Hebrews 11.1.4. 1,